I'm gonna finish the series that we began um, two weeks ago uh, called Whole Kingdom, Whole Kingdom. And what we've been doing in this series is we have been focusing in on different aspects of life in the kingdom of God. How many of you, if you believe in Jesus, you are a part of the kingdom of God? Okay, so we've been talking about different aspects of life in the kingdom of God, the function of the kingdom of God, our personal and collective role in the kingdom of God. And for the purpose, the purpose for all of this is, uh, for this focus is that as we sang in the last song, we're, we're doing this, we're focusing in on these things so that the kingdom of God comes and God's will is done. That it, it, if we can simplify what the kingdom of God is about, it's about that. It's about seeing God's heart for humanity enter into the world and be experienced among the people of the earth. God's kingdom come and his will be done. And so over the last couple of weeks, you've gotten to hear from Pastor Dwight and uh, Pastor Clem Ferris spoke last week. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to those messages, you can go back and listen to those messages. You can go to our website, redeemers.life, and look up our messages there. Or you can go to my favorite. You can go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to our weekly message podcast. And so that's an opportunity to do that. But this week, to end this series, by the way, you cannot talk about the full scope and scale of the kingdom of God in three weeks. It's impossible. You, will, you could talk for the rest of your life on that topic. So what we did, or the purpose of this, is not only to focus our efforts, our minds, on what it means to see God's kingdom come and his will be done and our role in that, but also to maybe highlight things that we may not consider, we may not necessarily think about, about our function and our role in the kingdom. So this morning, I want to end our series focusing on the topic who is to be included? Say included. included. Who is to be included in the kingdom of God? Who is to be included in the kingdom of God? Another way of asking that same question is, who is the kingdom of God for? Who's the kingdom of God for? The word include for the purpose of this series or this message is a really important word. Include, by definition, means that which is considered or thought about. That which is considered or thought about. For instance, if you've ever been left out of something, you weren't included. <laughs> How many of you have ever been on the outside looking in? You just were not included. The reality, the, the truth about it is the reason why you weren't included is because you weren't considered or you weren't thought about. And so this word has specific unique meaning for this morning. When someone or something is included, it means that long, listen, this is important. When someone or something is included, it means that long before they were included, they were considered or they were thought about. That's why that word means so much. And so once again, let's consider this question, who is included in the kingdom uh, of God? Who is the kingdom for? When we think about this title, whole kingdom, one of the things that we have to consider, and I want you to consider with me this morning, is who is to be considered in that whole? 
When we think of every single person that's supposed to be in the kingdom, who's to be considered in that whole, in that big picture of what the kingdom is all about? How many of you know that's an important question? It's an important question because in order to see Jesus' prayer about God's kingdom coming and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's an important question to consider because part of seeing that happen is that we have to be actually on mission to see that accomplished. The mission of the kingdom of God is not building buildings. It's not donating money. The mission of the kingdom of God is people. It's reaching people, loving people, serving people, sharing the message of Jesus with people. And so if that's the mission, then we need to know who's included in that mission. It gives us a target. It gives us who we are to go after. So let's talk about that before we do. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to open this book and hear from you and see what's on your heart. God, I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts, God, to hear from you, to see who you want us to reach and what the mission of the kingdom is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, going back to that question, how many of you have ever experienced not being invited to something? How many of you aren't raising your hands because you're, 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 you're still bitter? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I'll never forget this time in high school. Um, I had you know, my own social circle, and part of my social circle was a couple friends from high school, and these friends happened to go to another church, and so I was really just kind of interested in getting to know or enlarging my social circle uh, at that time, and so I just asked them, I think it was at school, or maybe it was the summer, I don't remember, but I asked them, I was like, hey, like, what are you guys doing this weekend? And so they uh, talked about, uh, they were like, yeah, I think we're going to have like a cookout. We're going to get together, just kind of hang out, have some s'mores and stuff like that. And I was like, awesome. And um, I can't remember if I invited myself or I, I created an awkward moment for them to ask me. I think if I invited myself, that was probably my first mistake, but I, I would like to remember that I just created an awkward space for them to feel obligated to invite me. Nevertheless, I, I, start, I went. And uh, so I, I went to this, um, this, this cookout, and I was really excited to get to know some new people, to, to kind of increase or enlarge my social sphere and get some new friends and get to know some new people. And let me just tell you, um, it ended up going terribly awkward. When I, when I showed up, um, yes, my friends knew that I was coming, but nobody else did. And so I show up and I am expecting for everyone there to include me. But I show up and the exact opposite happened. Listen to me, this is so important. It was evident that when they were planning this gathering, they were not considering or thinking about new people being a part. And so even though my friends invited me, even though my friends considered and thought about me and were willing to include me, not everybody had the same sentiment. And so I spent the entire evening on the outside looking in. How many of you have ever been there? Like they got inside jokes that you can't get on the inside of? 
and they don't even explain. It was like I was in the room, but I was invisible. It, what, what is the, what, and here's the crazy thing, once again, even though I was included and considered by my friends, I was rejected by the whole. So what is the, what is the moral of the story? The moral of the story is this, that when we lose sight of or are unaware of who is really included, because once again, I was invited. Can I tell you something? That just because you invite someone to church does not mean that you have included them in your world. Okay, it's not about inviting, it's about including. It's about bringing people in. And so here I was invited, but it was glaringly apparent to me that I was not included. And I wasn't going to be included. They did not have the space or the place or the margin in their social circle for me. And so I'm here on the outside looking in. I'm there, but I'm not really connected, connecting with anybody because obviously when they were considering or thinking about this event, I was not considered, even though my friends invited me. The whole did not. And um, it was a short stay, and I left. And here's the truth. I never went back. I didn't go back because it was clear I wasn't included. This is why, this is the reason why we have to know who is included in the kingdom. Because you and I cannot afford to unintentionally or intentionally exclude the very people that God has had on his heart and his mind long before they ever entered into the community of the kingdom. See, that's what the word included means. Included is this, that you have given thought and consideration to people long before they ever come around. This is why you love to be around people who have the gift of hospitality. Because from the moment you enter the door, you're welcomed, you're included, and you know it. That does not happen by accident. That happens because there was preparation and planning for your arrival. See, we need to know who's included in the kingdom. We need to know who God wants us to reach and plan and prepare. I heard John Maxwell say this, that failing to plan is planning to fail. You have to be, you have to, you have to be, you don't just include people because they show up. Including requires a preparation and a planning to make sure those people really feel like they are a part of what you're doing. If who we see, listen, if who we see included in the kingdom of God is not who God has on his heart and mind for the kingdom, then you and I, here's the danger, we can be limiting who the kingdom is intended for. See, here's the reality, is just because we are in the church does not necessarily mean that we have our doors open. Because there, there, let's talk about it, there can be a lot of exclusive mindsets in the people in the church. It's exclusive. Like, you, I, I don't have room. Case in point, my experience. There was not room in that social circle for me. If we're going to be about the kingdom of God, we can't have that mentality. We have to be willing to say the door is always open, and it's not just open because I'm inviting, but there's space in my circle because I have already been thinking about who will fill this, and I'm considering them so that they are here and they are a part. They're not on the outside looking in. That's right. 
And so this is why it's so important. One of the problems with the Pharisees, Jesus addressed it. And Clem talked about it last week. The Pharisees were literally preventing people from entering into the kingdom of God. They were making them jump through hoops. See, listen, if you've ever been on the outside looking in, you feel like there are these invisible hoops you have to jump, in, jump through. And here I am in this environment, and I'm like, does nobody like me? Like, what's wrong with me that, that they don't even care to include me in what's going on? Maybe I had like some glaringly, glaring issues that I didn't know about, but I mean, I think I'm a kind of a cool guy that could get into the circle. Evidently not. I felt the vibe. <laughs> Jesus addressed this with the Pharisees. And here's the thing about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, let me talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people that knew about God and had a long history with God. And I'm just telling you, can I be totally honest, Pastor Betty, the longer history you have with God, the easier it becomes to be inclusive or exclusive. It just does. It just does. And here these guys have this long history, and Jesus rebukes them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. See, when we have a narrow perspective and understanding of who is included in the kingdom of God, we can shut the kingdom of heaven off to the very people that God actually had in mind. When we don't understand God's heart for people, because that's really what it is, when we don't understand God's heart for people, we will have the tendency to see them as enemies to the kingdom, rather as people that God has assigned us to. Just because you disagree with someone does not automatically make them your enemy. We, 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 can, we can tend to treat those who are unfamiliar with the kingdom of God as enemies rather than assignments. People that God is actually allowed to cross our path to love well. This is why we need to know who's included. So who then is included in the kingdom? Let me get to it because I've been talking way too long. Be prepared for another 20 minutes. Who's included in the kingdom? Here, this is the main point. If you get this point, you can leave right now. I hope you don't. But you can leave right now. Here's the main point for the message. If you get this, you can leave understanding the full scope and scale of what I'm trying to communicate. Who is included in the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is as much for the one who does not know the king as it is for the one who does know the king. In included. Now, some of us, we got our... Our mental, you know, we're spinning because it's like, well, wait a minute. Is that, are you saying that like anybody who's just, you know, any, everybody goes to heaven? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about included. I'm not talking about in the kingdom. There's a difference and I'm going to get to it. The kingdom of God is as much for the one who does not know the king as it is for the one who does know the king. See, you and I were included in the kingdom of God long before we have ever entered into the kingdom of God. We were thought about. We were in the mind and heart of God before we ever entered in. Why do I say that? Because God was thinking about every single person in the room and considering us before we ever accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world, what that means is from the get-go, He was including us. He was considering us. He was thinking about us 
because that's what included means. It's about thinking ahead, preparing for, for people to come. See, we were on the mind of God long before we ever entered into the kingdom. See, this is the difference between being included in the kingdom and being in the kingdom. Let me break it down. Being in the kingdom of God means that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. But to be included in the kingdom of God means that you are pursued by the people of the kingdom welcomed into the kingdom, considered and thought about by the people of the kingdom, embraced by the community. How many of you know that if you are by yourself, you are still the community of the kingdom of God? It's not just this space. It's you are an extension of the community of the kingdom of God where you live, where you work, where you work out at, all of it. Wherever you are, you are an extension of the kingdom of God. And so it is our job to include those in the kingdom of God that have yet to believe, or here's the other one, that may never believe. They may never believe in the Jesus that we believe in. That's fine. That does not disqualify or cancel God's heart for the kingdom, the community of the kingdom of God to be including people even if they never believe. Because here's the reality. People are supposed to be long before they believe. They are supposed to be embraced before they have faith. Jesus, Deborah, thank you for amening me. Jesus, Jesus, if you had a physical issue, Jesus was not like, I have the possibility of healing you. And I can, like right now. But let's talk about the Roman road. And if you accept me as your Lord and Savior, then I'll do something. Salvation was never leveraged against lost people and used to manipulate people into believing in Jesus. Because before the foundation of the world, they were already included. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus did not have you in mind and consider you, by the way, so many of you are here because someone was including you. My God, someone was thinking about you. Someone was considering you. Someone had, had you on their mind to invite you and to bring you into this environment because you were included even if you never believed in the kingdom or entered in yourself. This is the mission. Listen, if God did not include people, he would have never came to the earth in the first place. Because he did not come to the people that already believed in him. He arrived at the doorstep of people that had no faith in him and didn't even know who he was. It's quiet in here. Matthew chapter 4. This is where we see it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 or uh, 13 through uh, 15. It says, leaving Nazareth, this is Jesus, he went right after he goes through the 40 days of, uh, in the wilderness. It says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are two regional tribes. This was their territory, but it was really no longer a Jewish territory. This was very much people that had migrated into this area that did not believe in the Jewish, Jewish faith at all. He said, the land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. By the way, 
This is, a, this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah that was written over 600 and 700 years before Jesus ever did it. What does that tell us? That tells us that God was thinking about who he was going to include in the message of Jesus 700 years before Jesus ever arrived. And so he says, the land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan to the Galilee of the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? A Gentile was the name that the Jews gave people that did not believe in their God. And who does Jesus go to? He goes to the Gent. Thank you, Duncan. I'm going to put a sticker on your chart in my office. You got the elder star. Five stars and there's a pizza party at Pizza Hut. Dana's at four. He's been at four for a long time. I'm just waiting. <laughs> waiting for him to. <laughs> oh, man. J Dana's at like 80. Dana's got, Dana's got rollover stars. <laughs> but see, listen. This shows us a picture that God has always included those that have yet to know him in the kingdom. This is not something new. Even in the Old Testament, in one of your favorite books, the book of Leviticus, that's a joke. I'm just telling you, if you were new to believing in Jesus and someone said, start at Leviticus, they hate you. That's where you go to be punished. But even in the, the Levitical law, God had those that the people of God excluded, included in his law. Listen to this. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 22. And this is, man, I'm about to go so deep, and I hope you guys get this because this is crazy. Leviticus 19, 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor. And for the foreigner residing among you, and then God puts his stamp of approval on it, I am the Lord your God, and the message translation is, yes, I said that. <laughs> what does this mean? This means that all of the Jewish farmers in their plots of land when they were planting crops, God commanded them not to harvest all of it for themselves. God actually commanded them, you are to leave sections for the ones who are not even a part of the kingdom that you are or, the God, or even believe in the God that you believe in to come and feed off of your land so that you can be reminded that they are included in my heart. Now let me start, right, I'm, I'm about to, whoo, I'm about, when God showed me this, I about did a cartwheels down, the, I just almost did cartwheels to the, to the wall and back, because I can't do a backflip. Listen, does anybody know who actually practiced this in scripture? Who was allowed to glean off of a field? Ruth. Is Ruth a Jew? She's a Moabite. Boaz was the Jew. I hope you follow me. Boaz was the Jew. Boaz practices this, allows Ruth to eat off of his fields, glean from his fields. She's a foreigner. 
They end up getting married. Who does, who does uh, Ruth and uh, Boaz have? Obed. Who does Obed have? Who does Jesse have? King David came from this provision being practiced. And then who came generations later from that same line? The son of God. Jesus came. And I don't know about you, but I trace it all the way back to a man practicing this provision, knowing that, yes, foreigners are even included in the mind of God, and he allows Ruth to glean from, her, from his field. They get married, they end up having David, and all the way down. You wonder why Jesus has a heart for those that you would exclude? Because he was one! On. Let's go on. Not only, not only that, in Leviticus 19.34, listen to this. The foreigner residing among you must, non-optional, must be treated as your native born. And then he goes on to say, love them as you love yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. Yes, I said it. For you were once foreigners in Egypt. Here's the reality. And I'm just going to say it because it's the honest truth. My love for people not in the kingdom has had to grow over time because I was born in a Christian family. And it's really difficult sometimes when you are born into something to not realize what it feels like to be on the outside. You're just born into it. You're familiar with it. And God commands the people, he says, you are to treat the foreigner like a native born and you are to love them like you love yourself. Yes, I said it. I am the Lord your God. Why? Because ultimately it was a prophetic picture in the Old Testament that when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's no longer, the, the Jewish people are no longer exclusively able to be a part of the kingdom. He opens up the doors to every single human being on the earth and says, it's all for everybody. And all the way back in Leviticus, you see the mind and heart of God to include those that could easily be excluded because we're born in it. Here's the other truth. If you got saved, and it's been a long time, the reason why he said, remember when you were a foreigner, is so that you would always include the foreigners among you. He said, you were a foreigner at one point, and you see what I did to include you? I didn't have to come into Egypt and deliver you. You could have died, and the people of God could have died in Egypt. I didn't have to go out and deliver you, but I did because you were included in what I wanted to do. And he opened the doors to them. See, what was God saying in Leviticus 19.34? He was saying, you are to love them and embrace them as family, even though they are foreign to your faith. You are to love and embrace them as family, even though they are foreign. He was saying, you are to include them, not tolerate them. There is a difference. We're not called to tolerate people. We're called to welcome them in, embrace them. And guess what? It's hard because you won't want to tolerate them at times. You won't want to, you won't want to tolerate the things that, that they're not used to. Okay? 
Listen, the crying in the back does not bother me at all. I grew up in a youth ministry where I had to chase people around a pool table in the middle of worship. <laughs> we were playing freeze tag. This is not the time. Okay, when you come into church, you're just supposed to sit down, bro. Just sit. <laughs> he was joking the mess out of me. About pulled a muscle trying to get that dude to sit down. Dang. But if God didn't change my heart, I would have not included, I would have tolerated. And then I would have prayed and complained to God the whole time. God, they are so annoying. Why are they here? See, the reason why we can often forget to love those who are foreign to our faith as if they are in the family of the faith is because we can often forget what it's like to be a foreigner. And God has never changed his mind on who is included in the kingdom, even though they have yet to know him. And we see, this, we see this sentiment echoed in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus takes it one step further. He doesn't just say, you are to love the foreigner like a native. He says, you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is where we're going to wind everything down. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Jesus is having a conversation with someone who has tenure in the synagogue. Someone who is well-versed in the Bible. Someone who's been around the kingdom of God, knows what it's like to be Jewish. And it's interesting because he sees Jesus and he comes up and begins a conversation to actually question Jesus. It says in verse 25, it says, Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrine. <laughs> he posed this question. He said, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Now, it's interesting because he's basically like, what do I need to do to guarantee my salvation? And it's amazing because Jesus actually redirects him off of focus on himself to focusing on other things. And he says this, he says, well, in verse 26, what do you read in the law? How do you understand it? You know, that is a really important question. And here's why it's an important question. Because how you interpret the Bible reveals how you see God. And if you do not see God as someone that wants to include everyone in the kingdom, you will have such a narrow, limited perspective on who God is trying to reach. Right. And so he says, well, what, how, how do you interpret it? How do you understand it? Verse 27, the religious scholar answered, it states, you must love the Lord God with all your heart and all your passion, all your energy, your every thought, and you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that is correct. Now go and do exactly that, and you will live. No, go and do that. Can I tell you? That is the simplicity of what it means to be in the kingdom. Love God, love people. It's plastered on our wall. Loving God, loving people. That is the simple vision statement of our church. And it's summed up here. Jesus said, go and do that, and you will live. In other words, this is what matters most 
in the kingdom. And I love the next part because if you've ever been around real smart people and you think that you're going to like pull one over on them, then they hit you back with something else that's like, dang, I'm so stupid. And he asks another question. In verse 29, he says, but wanting to justify himself. <laughs> justify himself. In other words, this is what the, the guy's doing. He's like, I get it, love God, love people, but um, do I really have to love everybody? I, I need you to kind of, kind of narrow the scope of what it means to love my neighbor. And he was asking it not because he wanted to know who God wanted to send him to. He was asking it because he wanted to know who God would allow him not to have to go to. That's why wanting to justify himself is there. <laughs> How many of you have ever seen someone that God has put it on your heart to minister to and you're like, oh, man? <laughs> um, and you end up wanting to justify yourself. I'm too busy. I can't. Uh... Mm -mm. Isn't it amazing? We have a tendency to do this. So he goes on. He says, wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further, saying, <laughs> what do you mean by my neighbor. Okay, now let's just stop right here for a moment. Jesus is about to highlight that neighbor does not mean the person next door. It's not the person next door. And you're going to see how he paints this in this story. He begins to tell this story. He says, there was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Now let's stop right here. This road is actually a real, real road between Jericho and Jerusalem, and it was literally given in the culture and time of the day, it was given the name the Bloody Road because thieves were all on it. People were constantly getting victimized and beat up on this road. So when Jesus is sharing this, he's not just making up this fictional story. He's actually showing them a real thing that they know. They're like, yep, I know that road. And so he says that a man got beat up. This Jewish man on the road was, was beaten up. In verse 31, a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man and seeing him from a distance... The priest crossed to the other side of the road. Not my problem. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I, I'm late. Too busy. Now, the reason why he uses priests and Levites, you'll hear Levites, is because many of the priests and Levites actually lived in Jericho. And they were constantly traveling to Jerusalem to minister in the temple and make sacrifices. And so these are two real people that, once again, the audience is going to know about. Yep, I've seen priests. I've seen Levites on that road. Many of the priesthood and the Levitical people lived in Jericho because it was so close. And so he says this, this guy that knows everything about the, the kingdom is like, hmm. When I was walking down the road, I wasn't considering this happening. I wasn't thinking ahead that if this happens, I'm going to stop. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and I'm going to, he's right here, but I'm going to just go ahead and come here because if someone were to see that I didn't meet that, I could say I didn't see him because I was on the other side of the road. And then it goes, goes on to the Levite. 
It goes on to the Levite and it says, later a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan. Now this would have made the people furious because they hated Samaritans. The history between Jew, uh, Judy, uh, Jews and the Samaritan people was, was a terrible history. The reason why the Jewish people hated the Samaritans is because the Samaritans were what they called mixed breeds. They were Jews that intermarried with Assyrians when the Assyrians dragged Israel into captivity. And they hated them because they were a perpetual reminder in their mind of who conquered them at one point in their history. And they wanted nothing to do with them. That's why when Jesus went to, in John 4, when he came to the woman at the well, the disciples were like, what are you doing here? And you remember what the lady said? She said, what? You being a Jew are asking me for a drink. We don't even associate together. And so he uses the person they hate to show what it looks like to actually be a neighbor. And so this Samaritan came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. See, Jesus illustrates the heart of loving as a neighbor by using someone who wasn't even a neighbor. The region of Samaria, or the Samaritans where they lived, was nowhere near close to Jericho. So he's painting a picture that neighboring is not the person next door. And he goes on to say, it says, He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, bandaging them up to stop the bleeding, lifting him up. He placed him on his own donkey and brought him into the inn. Then he took him from his donkey, carried him to a room for the next night. And the next morning he took out his own money, paid a price to the innkeeper with these words, Take care of him until I come back from my journey. And if it costs me more than this, I will repay you when I return. And he goes back to the guy and he says, so now tell me with one, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor. The religious scholar said, humbled, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. A couple observations. Number one, you cannot love God well and not love people well. You say you love God, that means you love people well. Uh, we see this very clearly when Peter denies Jesus and then Jesus restores him. And it's very interesting. He says, Simon, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love me. Okay, or I love you. Okay, if you do love me, do what? Feed my sheep. Love my people. You cannot disconnect loving God well from loving people well. They are the same in the mind and heart of God. Number two. Loving your neighbor, we see in the Samaritan, is not limited to who is literally closest to you, but who God wants to send you to, to include them in the kingdom of God. It's not limited to who's close. We have a network, we have social circles, we have relationships in our life, and we can easily, we can probably think like, oh man, neighboring them is easy. I love loving them like a, a neighbor as he loves, loves himself. They are so easy. But what about the people in your life that you're not considering? I want you to see, I, one of the things that I want you to consider this morning is that God wants you to expand 
your eyes to see the people that are already present in your life that he is sending you to to love like a neighbor as he loves himself, but you haven't seen them. He's got more people in your life that he's actually assigned you to. But what it takes is someone who has the heart of God to say, send me into my circle. Send me into my life, my relationship circles, and help me to see the people that you actually want me to include in the kingdom of God, even if they never believe. To demonstrate the kindness and goodness of God's kingdom to them. And so he, he takes, it's not about proximity, you guys. It's not about who's closest. If that was the case, he would have used someone that was close to the man. But he uses the Samaritan who is, who is so far off. And let me just tell you, I'm going to stop right here. It's not even my notes, but take this one. Jesus, the picture of the good Samaritan is actually a picture of Jesus. If you've grown up in Redeemers for a long time, you know the song. He poured in the oil and the wine, the kind that restores my soul. He met me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. He ain't talking about the Samaritan. He's talking about a picture of what Jesus does with humanity that is broken, fractured, damaged in their soul, and he does not cross over. He was sent like a Samaritan. Listen, he, he is the ultimate neighbor because it's not about proximity. He came from heaven to earth. He traveled the greatest distance to let us know who is included in the kingdom of God. And he meets us bleeding and dying, and he says, I'm going to put them on my donkey, I'm going to take them to the end, and I'm going to pay the price to see them restored and healed. This is what the kingdom is about. He met me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. That is Jesus. And once again, <laughs> I think the reason why he uses a Samaritan is because he knows in his messianic line, tracing it back to Nate, Ruth being a Moabite, he was a foreigner at one time. Amen. What does it look like to love your neighbor as you love yourself? It's not about proximity, guys. Christmas, a couple days before Christmas, I think it was the Sunday before Christmas Eve service, we are driving down the road to church. And if you, oh, let's talk about this. If you are familiar with the intersection of 70 and Hamilton Road, where all of the homeless camp stuff is. Anybody see that? See, the religious part of you was like, would be like, we need to clean this up. We need to get rid of this. We need to, this is not a good look. This is not good for the, for the city. But you know, the thing that I love about Jesus is Jesus goes to where his hands get most dirty to include them in the kingdom of God. So we're coming to church on Sunday morning before Christmas Eve, and my wife had this, this picture, this dream of Ella before she was even born, that she would be someone to be moved by compassion, and she would go around and play guitar for homeless people. And so here we drive up, there's a guy walking down begging for money, and Ella says, Mom, Dad, is Santa going to get them anything for Christmas? And Allison, being the more spiritual person than me, says, no, probably not, but we can. Now, here's a crossroads moment. Am I going to see this man included in the kingdom or not?
And so, sure enough, we go to church, we come home, and uh, I had a, a neighbor uh, give me a gift card. Every year during Christmas, he gives me gift cards because he knows I'm a pastor. And he uh, asked me if there's anybody that needs these, just hand them out to whoever. So we have a $50 gift card, so we go to Kroger's and we go shopping. And we're, this is such a teachable moment. We go around, she's, she needs to be the pastor. I mean, she is the pastor, really, but she, I just talk a whole lot, she's the pastor. But we go to Kroger and she's asking the kids, what do you think that they would like? What, what do you think could last a long time? So we get jars of peanut butter, we, we got loaves of bread, we got the whole thing. And then the Lord says to me, or then, we, then Allison asks them, well, it's, it's cold out there, so what would, what, would he, what would he need? So we go and we grab sleeping bags and we got all this stuff, and then the Lord's like, I want you to give him your favorite jacket. And I'm like, I don't think that was Jesus. I think, <laughs> hmm. not my Nautica jacket. Nobody wears Nautica anymore but me. But not my Nautica jacket. And he's like, huh. He says, Caleb, it actually needs to cost you something to love people. And so to this day, it hurts not having that jacket. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I think I saw on TBN, if you sew some, you'll get, you'll get some better. So I'm like, Stop it. I'm kidding. <laughs> I did. I did. Somebody said that. I, I, I'm not naming names. But he said, I want, you to, I want it to hurt to include this man in the kingdom. So my name is Caleb. Christmas Eve, he's out there walking, walking back and forth. So Christmas Eve, we pull over on the side of the road. I roll down the window. He expects, expects money, and I said, we don't have it. I said, but we do have some other stuff. So I park it, we get out, unload the trunk. We got all this food, sleeping bags, a jacket. And I said, what's your name, by the way? And he says, Joshua. Wow. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. That's my brother's name, by the way, Joshua. And I said, well, we should know each other because in the Bible, we went, we went into the promised land together. And he said, hey, man, I really appreciate this. There's not too many people that actually stop and give me stuff. They may give me money, but they don't actually stop and give me stuff. So here's the thing. If you have the desire to clean that up, you better not because some of my stuff is in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get, or call me, I'm going to get my jacket back. <laughs> but, <laughs> but listen, this is what it's about, including in the kingdom. And this is from my daughter. You know, that's such a pure heart, but that's really the heart of God because it's not tainted by experiences where it's been taken advantage of or abused. You know, when I think about this whole idea of uh, loving your neighbor, no matter who that may be, as you love yourself, this is the way we tangibly include in the kingdom those, those whose God has intended to bring into the community of God. And when I see this story, there is no one in my life that has embodied this more to me and my family than my literal neighbors. And they're here, Mike and Justine. I told him I was going to talk about him. He was like, oh, buddy. <laughs> he said a lot of my friends talk about us, so that's fine. I 
absolutely love these guys. These are the best neighbors that I've ever had in my life. We moved into a court in 2010 or 11, and since the day that we moved in, time and time and time again, they have not been someone next door. You know what that means. You got people next door that the only time you see them is when they drive into their garage. They have been neighbors. And they've not only just been neighbors, but they've been neighbors that have loved us like they love themselves. And I've never seen anybody model it more than these guys. From day one, I remember I was out on the basketball, I have a basketball hoop, and I was out on the basketball court, and Justine comes over and she greets me. And we start talking, and from the moment, it was like, welcome to the neighborhood. You know what that tells me? That there's something in their heart that said, whoever moves into that house, I am thinking ahead, I am considering that I will include them before they ever arrive. And from the moment we moved, they, they've done that. And I can't tell you, listen, my kids, you, I said this a long time, I said this in one sermon, if you got an attitude problem, put a kid around an adult because they will tell you who has an issue. <laughs> my kids love Mike and Justine. I mean, they love them. There have been times where Zeke, Ella, or Gideon is like Jesus in Jerusalem. I'm like, where did they go? <laughs> They're in the garage talking to Mr. Mike and Justine. And, and <laughs> Zeke came out one day and he looks over and sees Mike at the garage and he goes, hey, Mr. Mikey. <laughs> Love them. But you know what's amazing? Is I am actually, as a dad, I am secure with them being around them. I feel like if they are around Mike and Justine, they're gonna be taken care of, they're gonna be protected, they're gonna be watched out. If Mike is in his garage in our court and the kids go outside, I don't have any fear whatsoever because I know Mike is looking after my kids because he's included us from day one. Kindness over and over and over again. If you need a tool, come and borrow it as long as you bring it back, even if it's eight months late. There's times where Micah's came over and he's like, uh, you got my tool? Oh, my bad, I'm sorry. He's got, a, he's got all this fire in his back, and he said, if you need firewood, come and get it. No strings attached. Every single time. But we came over and we got them uh, Christmas gifts, and he was like, oh, let me go to get the garage and get your gift. Who does this? They... they literally inspire me to be that to other people because they didn't have to do it. What are they getting out of it? Sees me, I love Mike. Mike Mike will see me picking up the dog stuff in the yard and he's like, I could watch you do that all day long. (laughs) Right? Then he does this stuff, if he sees me struggling, He'll be like, hey, you need help? And I'm like, absolutely. He's like, I'll send Justine over. (laughs) I was putting the Christmas lights up on my house. He said, what are you doing over there, Clark? (laughs) It's just over and over again. (laughs) We've been been gone for a long time. And I I call Mike and I said, hey, can you take Jubilee out? I give him my garage code. He comes in, takes my dog out, takes her on walks. 
like brings her back. I'm like, who does this? This is the one that probably was just, I was speechless. In the middle of December, I got COVID and we were all quarantined in the house. Luckily, none of the other kids or Allison were, did get it, but I was stuck in the house and there was just a moment where some of the kids had like colds and they were coughing and all sorts of stuff. And who did I call? I said, I, I think Allison called Mike and said, hey Mike, can you just go and get us some cough medicine? He's like, no problem. Goes down to Kroger, comes back, leaves it on her doorstep and doesn't even ask for a dime. I mean, that's amazing to me. But I'm just telling you, that's what it looks like to include people, to welcome them into the kingdom, no strings attached, giving consideration and thought to it. They could exclude. But my point is, is they didn't have to be a neighbor. They could have just been the person next door. But there's something inside of their heart that is chosen to bear ownership and personal responsibility to say, I am going to make these people feel included. Our dog ran away, and I told Gideon, that's a wrap. <laughs> she is gone. And at 10 o'clock at night, who comes to the door with the dog? Mike. I, this is what it means to include people in the kingdom. That you create space in your life, margin in your field to bless people, to show them the kindness and the kingdom of God through serving them and loving them and including them. That's what it means. The reason why they're here is because they're practicing being a neighbor. And so I just wanted to honor you guys this morning. I, when I text you and say I love you, it's because I really mean it. <laughs> You guys have blown me away with your kindness. And I don't know if you hear it from enough people, but I have a feeling it's not just me. I have a feeling that there are plenty of people in your life that are like the 10 lepers. Only one comes back and says thank you, but I, I am taking personal responsibility from the bottom of my heart to thank you guys because you have welcomed us so well into that court. And I'm just telling you, Mike, if you guys move, we gone. <laughs> We are out, we are raptured. <laughs> because I don't know if I will ever have a neighbor that has taken care of us as well as you guys. It's incredible. But this is what it looks like to be included in the kingdom. Who's included? Those that know the king and those that have yet to know him and even those that may never know him. But our arms are open to welcome into the community. So who in your life? See, we are neighbors to Scottwood, but we could have just been the church next door. So who in your life have you not seen that God is actually sending you to to love and welcome into the community of God? Will you stand with me? <clears throat> That's your heart, and you just really been challenged or inspired or encouraged or just felt a stirring in yourself.
to really realize that you are ambassadors of the kingdom. Let me tell you, the kingdom of God, you matter to the kingdom of God. You are agents of the kingdom of God. You are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And there are people in your life that God has placed there you don't even realize, but he's calling you to neighbor them, calling you to include them. Because before the foundation of the world, he had them in mind, and I believe that God is strategic enough to place you in their presence for such a time as this to love and serve them well. Don't be the person just next door. Don't cross over to the other side of the road. Serve the people that God has put in your life. And I believe that not just serve, but talk about Jesus with them. Mike and I have had so many conversations about Jesus. I recommended The Chosen to him. I don't know if he's watched it yet. It's besides the point. But love people. You cannot love God and not love people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If that's you, if you just feel like you've been really inspired to see the people in your life differently, will you just lift your hands up? God, you see the hands, and Father, every hand represents a heart. Every hand represents the heart of someone who has in their, their heart, their desire, a, a, a longing, a passion to reach the people within their network, their relational social network to neighbor them, to love them as they love themselves. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you always had those we haven't even considered to, to be included in the kingdom. You've always had them in your heart, in your mind. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would begin to take steps to include them because we are the body of Christ. You have sent us into the places that we're in, the neighborhoods, the jobs, the relationships, the families, the relatives, you have actually placed us there to include in the kingdom those that may not know you have yet to know you as well as, well as those that already do. Speak to us, lead us, God. I pray that we would take courageous steps, bold steps. But Father, we would keep it simple, just loving people right where they are. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week for Whole Soul. Once again, please consider inviting someone. We'll see you next week.